contending for the faith one verse at a time. Welcome to Truth Matters Church at truthmatterschurch.org. Opening Revelation chapter 4, we learn the Apostle John was taken into the awesome and indescribable throne room of God the Father. His vision gives us a glimpse into this heavenly location, and today we take a deeper look at what he saw using Scripture as our guide. Here is Pastor Alex Cataroja. All right, if you haven't already, if you can get your place ready, and we will continue this journey into the book of Revelation. And as I mentioned in our introductory comments, we are at a milestone whenever we turn a chapter. And as we now approach chapter 4, we will get a glimpse into heaven's throne. And that's the title of our message. I remember as a baby Christian and being filled with joy that I, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. All I know is that Jesus loves me. He died and forgave all my sins. That I've been f- set free from that penalty of sin. And I remember in those early stages, I was talking to a fellow brother, at, and this was at 24-Hour Fitness in Daly City. When we found out that we were Christians, we, it kind of took our relationship to another level. But I remember when we were talking about our joy and our love in Christ, and I remember I said this comment. I said, I just want to peek into heaven. I remember saying those words. Like, can I, there's there like a, you know, at the door, there's a peek hole. I go, not that I'm worthy or that I deserve that, but I, I just wanted to see heaven and God. Looks like that was almost 20 years ago. God answered that prayer. And we're going to get a glimpse into heaven's throne. And before we get right into that glimpse, a contextual overview, and this is at a super high level. But as we're studying Revelation, if you can just remember that this revelation is from the Father. We've got to remember this. And the Father gave this revelation to His Son. And the Son, in turn, gave it to the angel. And the angel, in turn, gave it to John. And John, in turn, is delivering this message to the seven churches. Collectively, the book of Revelation is the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation, the apocalypsis of the Lord Jesus Christ to all mankind at the very end. And collectively, this book is the testimony of Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Our Lord Jesus is the faithful witness to testify to the things written in this book. He is testifying what His Father has revealed to Him, and He, in turn, is now revealing it to John through His angel. And in the first three chapters, John gave testimony focused on the glorified Son of Man and His assessment given to the seven churches. And what we learn in our Summary of the seven letters to the seven churches. If you're wondering, how do I view and interpret these seven letters? You view it historically, but you also view it prophetically. And what's unique about these letters, and I've said it time and time again, is that the Lord Jesus in His assessment of these churches, 
that he's also assessing the angel over that church. So these letters are unique in and of itself in that there's that dual audience. The angel over it and those in the church. And what's marvelous as we concluded and summarized the, these seven letters to these seven churches, including the dual audience to the angels, is that only the Lord Jesus can use actual historical churches as part of his end times prophecy that will lead to his revelation. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can take historical churches and somewhat weave in some parables within those historical churches to communicate how he viewed them and how he will view the rest of the churches that follows, including those in it. So after dictating and recording the seven letters to the seven churches, John is now taken into heaven. And what we're going to find is we're going to get a glimpse of the scene and throne in heaven. So in these next two chapters, John is going to now give testimony on activities in heaven. And it's focused on one sitting on the throne. There's going to be heavenly hosts there. And there's the Lamb. So that's just a brief contextual overview. We are now going to be taken to heaven as it were. So without further ado, let's begin our scripture reading. What I'll do is we're going to read the entire chapter to get familiar with the setting and context. But our goal for today is to cover the first four verses to kind of just get us going and then we'll pick it up as we move on. But let's pick up our reading for today in Revelation 4, and we will read beginning in verse 1. John writes, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must soon take place, what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man and the fourth creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, 
The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their thrones before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. So it's a pretty marvelous scene into heaven. Let's pick it up at the top and start to walk through this vision. Let's go back to verse 1. John writes there, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. So for verse 1, as we've done with many of our other verses, we're going to break this up in parts so that we can understand and get an idea of what John is revealing in vision. We're going to look at when he said, after these things I looked, a door standing open in heaven, the first voice, and he says, I will show you. So let's look at the first part. John said, after these things I looked, and I've mentioned this before, throughout this book are chronological markers. And what I did was, I went through the entire book, and I wanted to look at all of the markers along these lines that is pretty much a marker that's saying, this is after that vision, and then after that vision, and then after that vision, and after that vision. So here's a summary of it. The reason why I did this is because, you remember, the way we're approaching Revelation, we're taking it in the way it's given, meaning it tells us how we are to interpret the visions given. And the fact that there are markers throughout this book from chapter 1 all the way to the very end tells us that it's to be read in sequential and chronological order. Which means, if any teacher were to come up and say, well, no, chapter 6 is really chapter 4 and chapter 9 is really chapter... On what premise are you making that argument? Let's look at how John transitions from one vision to the next vision, to the next vision, to the next vision, to the next vision, and to the next. And here's a summary of it that demonstrates that. So in Revelation 1, he says, Then I turned to see. In this chapter, he says, After these things I looked. Also in this chapter, he says, Then I looked. In chapter 6, he says, Then I saw. In chapter 7, After this I saw. And then also in chapter 7, After these things I looked. Revelation 9, after these things. Chapter 8, then I looked. Chapter 13, then I saw. Chapter 14, then I looked, then I looked. Chapter 15, then I saw. Chapter 15, after these things I looked. Then I heard. Chapter 16, chapter 18, after these things I saw. Chapter 19, after these things I heard. Chapter 19, then I heard. Chapter 19 again, then I saw. Chapter 20, then I saw. Chapter 20 again, after these things. Chapter 20, then I saw. Also in chapter 20, then I saw. And last but not least, when we get to chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. From chapter 1 all the way through chapter 21, John made it clear that the visions were given in sequential order and these markers were telling us that it was moving forward, not going back. Case in point, we're going to follow the pattern that was given to us by the apostle himself. 
When we understand these visions, we're going to understand them in the order and the sequence that they are given. And hopefully, by doing that, it'll demystify a lot of these mysteries by just following solid biblical hermeneutics. Then John says, a door standing open in heaven. And I want to make a few comments on this particular comment. And I've mentioned this before. We've learned that Hades has a door or gate. Remember, upon Peter's confession, our Lord told Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates, puli, of Hades will not overpower it. And what we learned is that Hades not only has gates, it's a city, and it's going to have citizens. Just as Hades has gates, here what we're finding is that heaven too has a door and has a gate. Because John says, after these things I looked, and behold, a door, a thura, standing open in heaven. Now the difference between gates of Hades in Matthew 16, Puli, versus door or thura here in chapter 4, verse 1, they're two different Greek words that generally are speaking of two different things in terms of its size. When you say puli, it generally speaks of a large door or gate, and it would be the Greek word that is used if there is a city and there's a city gates, those are rather large, those would be a puli, generally rather large gates. Whereas thura generally speaks of a small door, such as the entrance into a house or even an entrance to a room would be a thura. So when our Lord gives us the parable of the, the wide and narrow gate, he's making a contrast that one gates are wider, which leads to destruction, and many enter into it. And he says, and then there's this other door or gate, thura, which only a few will enter it. So there's this contrast. But as far as the door standing open in heaven, it's a thura. It's a smaller door into heaven. And as far as these doors go, and what we've learned is that when our Lord says that he has, which that which he opens, no one can shut, and that which he shuts, no one can open, says this. And we've covered this in our Key of David study. When our Lord said those statements, he is declaring to have authority over heaven and earth. So the Lord Jesus, as part of his exaltation, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name by his Father, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth. That our Lord Jesus, in his own words, is declaring that he has authority over heaven and earth, including Hades itself. So our Lord has authority to keep those in Hades and keep them there. And our Lord also has authority to allow and keep those in the kingdom of heaven safe. But at the time of this vision, what I want to point out is that the door was standing open in heaven. It's open, and John was allowed to come in. But also, as we've learned from the narrow and the white gates parable, that there will come a time when the unbelieving Jews will be locked out of the kingdom 
Remember in Luke 13, our Lord says there, beginning in verse 24, He says, Strive to enter in through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then He will answer and say to you, I do not know where you come from. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, at least at this point in the vision and prophecy, the window or the door into heaven is open and John was allowed to come in. But what I want us to also keep in mind is there's going to come a time when the kingdom is here on earth and he will shut the door of the kingdom. So as it were, where we are in this epoch of time, the gospel is still being preached. The gospel is still being offered. And that salvation is still available for those who would repent and believe in Christ. We're still in that period of grace. And the fact that John was allowed to be brought into heaven into this open door is also aligning to that. Now let's look at this third part of this verse. He says the first voice. He heard the first voice say, come up here. Now, depending on your Bible translation, it may or may not be in red, these words. The ESV, the red letter edition, will take this quote and make it red. They're making the assertion that Jesus is the first voice. I want to say this. It's plausible that the first voice was Christ. It's plausible. But I want to say this. If you go to chapter 1, verse 10, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. And that voice was none other than the glorified Son of Man. And then after dictating Jesus' very words to the seven churches from there, I think it actually more yeah, transitioned smoothly into the, Lord, into the Lord speaking there. But what I want to point out is I remember when I talked about the general contextual overview where this revelation first began with the Father, was given to the Son, who then gave it to his angel, and then delivered it to John. That the first voice could very well be the angel who was delivering the message to John and now saying, John, come up here. I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but just doing our diligence. The first voice could be the Lord Jesus, but it could also be an archangel. He goes on to say in this verse, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. If you wondered, why was John taken into heaven? It's to be shown what will take place after these things. What are these things? Very good. What was just written in chapters 1 through 3, but more immediate context, the seven letters to the seven churches. I want to ask us a rhetorical question. Did what happened to the seven actual historical churches pretty much take place in terms of what was written and contained in it? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying the prophecies that were and the promises that were in it have been completed. Obviously, not all yet. But in terms of his assessment and his judgment of the seven churches, it's pretty much done. So this vision comes into play saying, after these things. Well, that criteria has been met as far as what's been written to those seven historic churches happened. 
And all that's left now is for the rest of the promises and prophecies to take place. And that's what we're beginning to glean now as we're peering into heaven. Let's look at verse 2. John says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. So once the command was given to come up here, John was immediately transported to heaven, and he calls it in the Spirit. Now this is a similar experience to what the Apostle Paul had when he was taken to the third heaven. And if you recall, when Paul was giving that account, talking in a third person of him being given revelations and being taken into the third heaven. The Apostle Paul himself didn't know if it was in the body or out of the body. He doesn't know. He says only God knows. Well, looking at here, it could very well be he was in the Spirit, as the Apostle John called out here. But I do want to make a contrast between what I just mentioned on Paul's visitation to the third heaven. He was taken to paradise. John was taken through a door into heaven's throne. Paradise, the throne room of God. When Paul was taken to paradise, he said he saw things that are inexpressible. And he wasn't allowed to speak on them. Whereas the Apostle John, he was allowed to be taken into heaven and given the instruction, write and see what you saw and heard. It's as if, in this case, we were given extra grace that this part of the vision wasn't sealed up. Whereas when we look at the Apostle Paul, it wasn't time to speak on things. And even when you go to Daniel and at the end of his book, when it says seal up the vision of this book, So in God's progressive revelation, there's a time for everything. And he uses, whether it's his prophets or apostles, and in the case of John, he was given the privilege to open up into this vision. And I made this comment way, way, way back when. Daniel was given the instruction to seal up the vision, and then John here is now permitted to open up the vision. So John the Old Testament as the foundation in a lot of Daniel's writings was a continued revelation of, of God's redemptive will and plan. So John was given that, that privilege. Let's look now at verse 3. And John sees someone sitting on the throne. Let's see how he says it there. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. As far as this particular verse, I'd like to look at two things. In this verse, three precious stones are mentioned. Jasper, sardius, and emerald. I want to look at Scripture to see what are these stones associated with to help us understand what John is writing in this vision. And then he says he also, there was a rainbow around the throne. And I want to talk a little bit about that. And then I want to give us the interpretation using our scriptural references. So as far as the three precious stones in this verse, again, it's jasper. Sardius is in the Greek, but if you want the Hebrew equivalent, it's ruby and emerald. As far as 
jasper, sardius, or ruby, and emerald, these three stones are grouped together three times in the Old Testament. And since they're mentioned together as a set or as a group, part of a group, I want us to look at those three mentions. Because John is describing the one who sits on the throne, and he is attributing these three precious stones to describe him. So I want to see, first of all, what are those stones associated with, because that's going to help communicate and describe the one sitting on the throne. And we're going to translate what that means. So as far as jasper, sardius, or emerald, so two of the three mentions in the Old Testament of these three precious stones was in Exodus 28, Exodus 39, and Ezekiel 28. And these stones were part of the stones that made up the breastplate of judgment on the high priest's garment. So here I try to get an illustration of what the high priest's attire consisted of. But if you'll notice here in the middle of his chest, that was the breastplate of judgment that the high priest wore. And on this breastplate, there were four rows of stones. So the first row was ruby or sardius, topaz and emerald. And I highlighted here so that you can see the three stones that John mentions in this verse are three of the 12 stones that were on the breastplate of judgment. But on the second row of that breastplate, it was turquoise, sapphire, and diamond. In the third row, there was uh, jacinth, agate, or agate, I don't even know how to say that right, or amethyst. And then on the fourth row, there was beryl, onyx, and jasper. Now, if you were to look at the high priest's garments and this breastplate of judgment, those 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So there was some inscription. But you had 12 stones corresponding and representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And three of those stones are ruby or sardius, emerald, and jasper. If you want to know what's the reason behind the breastplate of judgment, because even in the priestly attire, you know, our, our God is, is a, a very specific, detail-oriented God. And that even the attire of the high priest is communicating something, in this case, in heaven. But if you want to know what's, what's the reason behind this breastplate of judgment, and I'll allow Exodus 28, verse 29 and following, tell us. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he enters the holy place. And I highlighted here, for a memorial before the Lord continually. You shall put in the breastpiece of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord and Aaron shall carry the judgment of the sons of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. So even in the high priest's attire, the 12 stones that represents the 12 tribes of Israel is a perpetual reminder of the promises that God made to his people. 
It's a beautiful representation of that covenant that God made with his people. So if you're wondering, is God done with Israel? (laughs) Well, besides Romans 11, that rebukes that. Just look at the high priestly attire and look at the breastplate of judgment. And it's placed over the heart of the high priest so that it'll be a continual memorial remembrance of his people. God has not forsaken and forgot his people whom he foreknew, even to this day, until the end of their indignation and punishment. The third and final mention of Jasper, Sardius, and Emerald as a set was in Ezekiel 28. And I'd like for us to read this passage of Scripture. And I want to say this. This passage is often attributed to describing Satan. And I want to say this. I agree with that. And you'll see why. When it comes to, when we read the Old Testament and a lot of these prophetic language, I can see why it gets confusing. Because oftentimes, as we've learned, even in studying this prophecy of this book, that there is more than one audience involved. In, in, in the seven letters to the seven churches, it's the angel over that church and then the people in that church. And sometimes it can be one or the other or even both. So we need to really pay attention. Well, that's the case here. When we read Ezekiel's lamentation and prophecy against the ancient king of Tyre, as will be evident in this passage, he's talking to that ancient king of Tyre, but he's also speaking to Satan. You'll see. Let me pick it up in Ezekiel 28. Because this is the other mention of Jasper, Sardius, and Emerald being mentioned together as, a, as part of a grouping. We saw it on the high priest's garment and the breastplate of judgment, and now we're going to see it mentioned somewhere else, and then we're going to put it together and get to that translation on what John is communicating in this vision. So let's look at Ezekiel 28, and we'll pick it up in verse 11. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. And that's why I wrote here, presumably the serpent has allusions here. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, remember, ruby is sardius the topaz and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, sapphire, for for those of us, the turquoise and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day that you were created, that you were prepared. Here's the telltale that it wasn't just the king of Sire. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there, You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Isn't it sounding a lot like Satan? By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, 
from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. And if you ask me, I believe that there's also a parallel here between the, and to the ultimate fall of Satan's man or Antichrist himself. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth. In the eyes of all who see you, all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you will cease to be forever. So if you were to ask me in this passage, I'm convinced that Ezekiel 28 has a dual audience, the ancient king of Tyre. But it also is describing Satan. And if it's not Satan, a high-ranking angel who sinned in the angelic rebellion because we have the anointed cherub or the covering cherub. But what I would like for us to take away from this passage is that this high-ranking fallen angel was described as having the seal of perfection full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, and that every precious stone was his covering, including the three stones listed in our key verse. So here's the takeaway. Why did I read that? Jasper, sardius, or ruby, and emerald, it's associated with the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. In other words, I think we can kind of relate at least in the current world today, diamonds are women's best friend. And for, in the case of, let's say, someone wanting to show how much, how beautiful they are and how much they love them, oftentimes it's associated with a diamond. I know for many of us men, we're very limited in that area. But kind of the point here is, kind of the bigger the diamond the more you love them. That's how it's often taken. But I understand that not everyone can, can do that. But I'm saying this as an illustration. If you wanted to adorn someone who is perfect, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty, their accessories would be these precious stones. So jasper, sardius, and emerald, they're associated with the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Now with that, let's go back to our key verse. When John wrote what he saw, and he says, he saw one, he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. John was describing and using the same stones on the priestly garment and the same stones on the anointed cherub attire to describe the one sitting on the throne. So there are some priestly implications, and then there is this seal of perfection, full of wisdom and full of beauty association. And we're going to get there at the very end. But what I want to do now, also what John sees, he sees a rainbow around the throne. And he said it's like an emerald in appearance. Ezekiel the priest he also saw a rainbow in his visions of God in Ezekiel chapter 1. And now that we're on this journey in this study, what I find is that Revelation 4 and 5 in Ezekiel 1, 
are similar accounts of the throne in heaven. And one telltale of that commonality is that both saw four living creatures, and we'll get into those four living creatures later in this chapter. But for now, I want to look at Ezekiel's account because he too saw a rainbow when he was allowed to see into heaven's throne. And I'd like to pick it up in Ezekiel 1, verses 26 through 28. And this is after he was describing in detail the four living beings. So let's pick it up in verse 26. Now above the expanse that was over their heads, their heads being the four living beings, there was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli or sapphire in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne high up, was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire and there was radiance around him. Here's the rainbow reference. As the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. But we'll we'll, we'll pause there. But here's what I'd like for us to take away. So here, stay with me, okay? John is describing the one sitting on the throne and he uses three precious stones. And he also makes mention of a rainbow. So I'm getting other biblical accounts to say, okay, what are these associated with and what are they making allusions to to help us understand what John saw in this vision? But from the, the takeaway from Ezekiel's vision was the rainbow was used to describe the radiance that was emanating from the one who was sitting on the throne. And there was a nugget of truth in what we just read Ezekiel said, he said, the one sitting on the throne had a figure with the appearance of a man. Whoever is sitting on the throne had the figure and appearance of a man. Kind of telling us, okay, the one sitting on the throne has a figure of the appearance of a man. More on that as we continue on. But let, now let's pull these two verses together. And here's a translation, because we had to go through that. First of all, what am I doing? Taking Scripture with Scripture. I'm taking these descriptions, seeing how else they're used in other places of Scripture to help open up what John is communicating in this vision. Here's a translation. When John wrote, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. John was using human language to describe the undescribable. we got to get this. How can you, like when Paul says he heard inexpressible things that words can't express? Well, John here is taking those inexpressible things and he's putting it in human words so that we can at least begin to glean and understand. But he was taking these human language and descriptions. You see, there was no other way to describe it, to describe the indescribable of the one sitting on the throne. 
And when we use Scripture with Scripture, when John saw one sitting on the throne and he described his appearance like a jasper and sardius stone, and when John saw a rainbow around the throne like an emerald, here's what John is communicating. That the one who was sitting on the throne is full of perfection, full of wisdom. He's perfect in beauty, and these precious stones capture the essence of that. How else do you describe the one sitting on the throne? Well, John did it here, and he used precious stones to communicate in human language and descriptions of what he saw. And I want to make a conjecture here. When you hear rainbow, what gets brought to your mind? Noah and the flood. So rainbow that was emanating around the throne was the very sign that God gave to Noah. Here's, there's, here's a conjecture. I don't believe the rainbow was created at the flood. Now, as far as how that former heavens and former earth, when there was waters or a canopy of waters in the heavens, before the flood, there is no rainbow. But after that former heavens, there is now the opportunity for the sun to radiate its light in such a way that it will form a rainbow. But here's a conjecture. I don't believe that the rainbow was created or brought into necessarily existence at the time of the flood. I believe that this rainbow that emanated around the throne has been there from the very beginning. And if you ask me, after God flooded the earth, and spared no one except Noah and his family. God said, okay, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Noah. And this will be a sign of the covenant that I will make with you and your sons, that I will never flood the earth again by water. And that was the sign of the rainbow that was emanating around his throne. So that when you see the rainbow, it is a reminder of the sign of the covenant that he will never flood the, water, the earth again by water but he was taking what was emanating around his throne. So he took something, you can say, pretty, pretty, pretty unique to him. It's like a stamp, exactly. But it's his stamp. It's his radiance. It's beautiful. He made the radiance of his glory as the sign of that covenant. Wow. He's like, I'm going to take my glory, and that's going to be a sign of this covenant that I'm making with you, Noah. That's a pretty... Pretty cool thing. And now we're on to our final verse for today. Let's look at verse 4. Around the throne there were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Must I say that there are some pretty interesting interpretations of this verse? And I had to go back to the commentaries just to get a flavor of what some teachings out there are. But here is just some of it, and this captures the essence. So comment, if you were to read some commentaries, these are some things that you would, would be presented before you as what this means. Some commentator says that, oh, the 24 thrones and the 24 elders and the white garments and the golden crowns are all symbolic of something. Just symbolism. And it's something along the lines, well, it's you know, the Old Testament and New Testament. It's the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. Or it's the church, 
consisting of Jews and Gentiles, the redeemed saints, you name it. It's fair game. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time rebutting some of those assertions, but I'll say this. I am thankful that we've set out some ground rules. Our 10 ROEs, I haven't mentioned that in, in a while, our rules of engagement before we even endeavored to begin this study. Because I put it upon myself, if I'm going to try to take this mysterious book that has been, <laughs> that has been attempted to be taught over the millennia, and a lot of great minds have tried to wrap their arms around this, and if little old me is going to even try to throw my, myself in, in there, in that pool, if you will, well, at least for my sake and for your sake, I go, well, I want to make sure before I get lost and I start introducing things or regurgitating things that we shouldn't be doing, that I'm thankful that we've set out some ground rules. And we're not going to go through them, but these are kind of like our Ten Commandments of interpreting Scripture. And these principles, I believe, are modeled by the authors of Scripture themselves. I didn't make this up. I'm just saying, what did they do? Then what are some of those principles that they followed? And I just try to put them in these 10. So I'm thankful for these ground rules because it helped us stay grounded. So as for the teachings that suggest that the 24 thrones or 24 elders or white robes or golden crowns are anything other than what it says, I respectfully disagree. I believe when John saw 24 thrones, he counted 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. And when he saw 24 elders, he counted them. One, two, oh, they're all sitting on there. And they're wearing white robes. He saw 24 thrones, 24 elders sitting on them wearing white robes and golden crowns. He saw 24 thrones, 24 elders. He saw them wearing white robes and wearing golden crowns. That's what John saw. That's what I see. That's what he said he saw. So for anyone to say anything otherwise, on what basis are you changing the vision? That's the vision. Now, if we don't understand it, we don't understand it. But that's the vision. Now, I know in our prior verses, when he said it was like a jasper stone or like a sardius or like uh, the rainbow was like an emerald, he was using in human language trying to communicate the radiance of the, the, the one sitting on the throne who was full of perfection, full of wisdom, and full of beauty. And he was using these precious stones. But here... Actually, he didn't even say they're like wearing a white robe. They're wearing white robes and a golden crown, and they're 24 elders and 24 thrones. Okay, that brings a question. Okay, well, who are the 24 elders? Well, for starters, I will tell you who is not among them. The apostles. So remember some of the teachings out there that says somehow these 24 elders sitting on these 24 thrones somehow include the apostles or even the patriarchs? As far as the apostles... It's definitely not them. For starters, John saw 24 elders. He wasn't one of the 24. He saw 24 elders wearing white robes 
and golden crowns sitting on 24 thrones. That tells you right there that John and the apostles are not in play. And I mentioned this before, the 12 apostles will instead be given 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you go back to the account when Peter told Jesus, look, we have left everything and have followed you. What is in it for us? And Jesus promised him and his disciples, assuredly I say to you, he who leaves, you know, even father or mother, for his name's sake, will not get that much more in the kingdom of heaven. But he promised them, he goes, you will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's different from the 24 thrones in heaven. As far as who the 24 elders are, now I'm not going to be dogmatic about this. But if you want to know who do I think they are, and I mentioned this before and I'll mention it again, through this study so far and through this journey, who is the likely group that make up this 24? I'm inclined to believe that they are the prophets of Scripture. Many, if not all, of whom were killed and stoned for their testimony and faithfulness. And I want to say this. I'm, I'm, this is, as we're going through our studies, and I mentioned this before, I'm continuing to get challenged and corrected. Now that we're even now at this chapter and this portion of the text, when it says, he who overcomes will be given X, or be faithful unto death and you'll be given the crown of life, I'm starting to become more sensitive and more careful to make Promises that might be for certain groups apply to everyone. Meaning this, what is often associated with a golden crown is for those who died for his name's sake. What did our Apostle Paul say on his way to being beheaded? He goes, there is before me a crown that our Lord will crown him. Because he was being killed for his faithfulness in proclaiming the gospel. Meaning, I know I've taught and said before that we will be getting some sort of crown of life. I'm not saying there isn't a reward in store for us, but let's just be careful that there might be certain crowns reserved for certain groups of people who have given their lives for the cause of God and his kingdom and the gospel. So if you were to ask me, who do I think these 24 elders are and who is a good fit? The prophets of Scripture who were killed and stoned for their testimony and faithfulness. Well, then that begs the question. Well, even if we were to consider that, it means that they must have been raised and glorified by this time in the vision. Is there a passage of Scripture that would at least continue to keep that possibility in play? And there is, and it's in Matthew's account. And some of you are probably familiar with this account. But when Jesus died on the cross, something mysterious happened, and Matthew is the only one who recorded this particular event. And I want to pick it up in Matthew 27, verses 50 to 53. So these are our Lord's last moments on the cross. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook 
and the rocks were split, the tombs were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. In this account, there is a group that participated in some sort of special resurrection. And this group even entered the holy city and Matthew says, appeared to many. So after our Lord died and was glorified, He wasn't alone. Because there were many who were also came out of the tombs, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. Let me ask us a question. How many is many? Could it be 24? Plausible. It is very plausible that the 24 elders were part of a special group who were raised glorified, then after appearing to many in Jerusalem, taken to heaven, and were given white robes, golden crowns, and each a throne, and allowed to sit around the throne in heaven. So if you ask me, who's the best candidates for these 24 elders? Or let me ask you, who clothed them with white robes, and who placed the golden crown on their head? And how do we know that? Because those are one of the promises, or a couple of the promises, that were given in the letters, and we'll close with that too. I'll mention what those are. I'm not going to be dogmatic, but man, it sure fits nicely. And the fact that golden crown is associated with death, Apostle Paul was getting a golden crown, and in these letters to these churches, he says, be faithful unto death, and you will receive the crown of life you know um, for he who overcomes overcomes what overcomes the persecution even up to your life that there's a unique crown for that so it all fits for the old testament prophets who were killed so in closing so what did john see and hear in this vision he saw an open door in heaven And upon hearing the first voice, it's either the Lord Jesus or an archangel, he was immediately escorted to heaven in the Spirit. And he saw one sitting on the throne, adorned with precious stones, emanating his radiance, in which human words express that he is full of glory, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. And as we've learned through Ezekiel's account, the one sitting on the throne had a figure and appearance as a man. John also saw a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. And I believe that God used as a sign of the rainbow of the covenant that God made with Noah and his sons. What else did John see and hear in this vision? He saw 24 literal thrones. He saw 24 literal elders, likely raised and glorified, sitting on them, clothed in literal white garments and wearing literal crown golden crowns on their heads. And this was the conjecture, Jeremy, and I I mentioned this. If you were to ask me, I believe that the Lord Jesus clothed them in white garments and crowned them with golden crowns as those promises parallel, as that parallel the promises in the letter to Sardis, to Smyrna, and to Laodicea. Remember, he who overcomes will be clothed in white. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. If you were to ask me that those 24 elders 
wearing white robes and golden crowns, that our Lord Jesus is the one who clothed them and put crowns on them because that authority and privilege was given to him by his Father. And guess what? John sees a whole lot more. And we'll look more into what else he saw and heard in heaven in verses 5 and following for our next study. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at Truth Matters Church. We deeply appreciate you listening and hope that you were blessed by this teaching today. Next week, we will continue to look at what the Apostle John saw and witnessed when he was taken up in the Spirit to the throne room of God the Father. We encourage you to check out our website for hundreds of hours of expository teaching. You can find it at truthmatterschurch.org. You can also find information on joining our study in person or online every Friday night. Again, the website, truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.